Last week, uh, we finished this long sermon series in a master class in Luke, and during Advent, um, for most of the Sundays, we're going to look at the voice of the prophets. Um, we're going to look at Isaiah leading us to the manger. And so this morning, we pick up with Isaiah uh, chapter 2. Please join me in this prayer for illumination. O Lord, source of all light, by your word, give light to our lives. Amen. Isaiah chapter 2, the first five verses. Listen then for the voice of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It'll be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. So uh, this, when I wrote this this week, um, it took a very unexpected turn for me, a turn that I don't normally take. Um, I hope it's helpful. On a clear winter's day in 1981, I got off the bus at the corner of 108th and Michigan in front of the Why Not Lounge and met Reverend Tony Vanzant, the founder director of Roseland Christian Ministries. I was a greenhorn from Iowa. He was a savvy urban pastor. He became a friend, mentor, and hero. At that first meeting, after joking with Derek Duck Simmons, I got in Reverend Tony's van for a neighborhood tour. On every block, there were boarded up buildings and abandoned houses. At every turn, vacant lots and vagrants. There were bars on windows and potholes in streets. There were wig shops, liquor stores, currency exchanges, and storefront churches with flamboyant names on hand-scrawled signs. I was wide-eyed. We didn't have urban blight in Orange City, Iowa. And everybody was black. I felt really white. Backyard mechanics passed a bottle around a 55-gallon drum fire. Young women with bundled-up children waited at the bus stop. A bunch of boys gathered 
outside a garage converted into a gym with a low ceiling and one basket. The crossing guard waited for kids to cross. Street walkers waited for cars to stop as cops cruised by. It was engaging, exotic, scary, exciting, overwhelming, and indifferent to my concerns all at the same time. That's what I saw. But Reverend Tony saw something else. In his eyes, every boarded up building could be rehabbed into a sign of God's kingdom. Every liquor store could be converted into a preschool and every house could be made into a home. The bars on the windows could be reconfigured to frame stained glass and the vacant lots turned over into gardens. Reverend Tony saw something that most of us don't see. In the 41 years since, man, that's a long time. In the 41 years since, Reverend Tony's essential vision hasn't changed. He still sees every addict as a church member and every hooker as the daughter of the king. He sees in every homeless guy with the flair for praying and preaching a future elder for the church. He sees in every burned out block the birthplace of the kingdom. He sees the beauty, inherent goodness, and redemptive value in what most of the world has tossed aside. And then on Sunday mornings, he would lift up from Scripture a picture of hope. He would preach up a storm of encouragement. Not a a starry-eyed optimism, nor a simplistic naivete, but he would invite the congregation into an unfolding cosmic drama that begins and ends with God in Christ. And you couldn't help but find yourself metaphorically dancing, metaphorically for me, Dancing towards Zion, singing, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. And somehow in those moments, the darkness was pushed back, and there was enough light to see. As it turns out, Reverend Tony knew dark shadows as bright as any light. But that essential vision has been remarkably unvarnished over all these years. It's amazing. What do you see? What's your essential vision? When you look at family and friend 
When you watch the news, when you read history, when you peel back all the busyness and banality and anxiety and cultural crud, what do you see? When you look at the currents of politics, economics, race, religion, what do you see? The prophet Isaiah saw the culmination of the coming culmination of history. Isaiah prophesied when the Assyrians destroyed Israel and threatened Judah. It was a tumultuous time. Nations rose and fell. Unholy alliances were built and scrapped. Populist prophets saw divine judgment and impending destruction in every geopolitical tremor. Captivity and exile were waiting in the wings for the Hebrews, and it felt like everything that was sturdy was breaking loose, and everything that had been constructed was cracking up. Feel familiar? But Isaiah saw something different. Isaiah saw a day coming when Mount Zion, literally or figuratively, would be elevated over Everest, rising up above all other mountains. It would be the navel, the center of all creation. And just as the Israelites traveled in the desert to receive the law of God from Mount Sinai, so too all nations will stream toward Mount Zion to receive the law of God. People will flow up the mountain and the law of God will flow down the mountain. And in this new configuration of creation, peace will emerge because God will settle disputes. Peace will endure because God will teach his way. And therefore, nations will beat their weapons of war into farm machinery and their instruments of death will be turned into the instruments of life. West Point and schools for jihad will close up shop and will learn war no more. Against every indication of reality, against the chaos of current conditions, against the prognosis of pundits and politicians, Isaiah saw the birthing of a new reality. What do you see? It's worth noting that the prophet Micah uses almost identical language for a similar vision. And that the prophet Joel uses the same wording but offers a decidedly darker vision where plowshares are beaten into swords and pruning hooks into spears. That doesn't get sti like stitched into little things to put on, uh, on your bathroom wall. 
the quilters are not working on that as a... <laughs> and yet, these prophets all saw creation coming to a climax. Creation not just careening out of control, but coming down a track. Inevitable, unstoppable, under God's control, churning toward God. In our text, Isaiah saw creation moving toward shalom. He saw history ending in light. What do you see? What's your essential vision? On a clear day in spring day in 1985, on the corner of 109th and Michigan in front of the Why Not Lounge, in the parking lot of Rosen Christian Ministries, my father was murdered. Clarence Hayes, a neighborhood addict looking for money for drugs, held us up, shot my father point blank in the side, and my father died in my mother's lap. I remember almost immediately seeing feeling a profound sadness for the intractable knot of violence, addiction, poverty, inadequate health care, easy access to handguns, lack of education, issues of race and racism, housing policies, policing practices, and an indifference to human life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember the awareness, almost immediately, that we were stepping into a pool of the victims of gun violence in Chicago. It was a crowded pool. We only stood out because we were white. In the 37 years since, my vision hasn't changed much. I still see a complex, intractable knot, and the pool keeps getting bigger. And yet, I still long for, look for, hope for, yearn after, invest in, and believe in the kingdom of God. I still long for, look for, hope for, yearn after, and believe in the coming culmination of history wherein we will all walk in the light. In following in the book, in the book, Following Jesus in a Culture of Fear, Scott Bader Sayer writes that our lives are easily ruled by an apocalyptic fear rather than divine goodness. 
and that we need a kind of courage to go on that's fueled by hope in God, in his words. Prior to the advent of modernity, most people believed that the world had a story because the world had an author. History is God's story, they would have said. And while humans are capable of creating confusion during the middle scenes of the drama, God never ceases to guide and direct the creation to its good end. People could trust time and history because they trusted that the God who created the world would finally reconcile all things. Dear friends, there's no indication that Isaiah saw Jesus of Nazareth as the inauguration of that coming peace. We read Isaiah's prophecy after the fact through the lens of Jesus. And we see in that first advent, the coming of Christ, the beginning of a second advent, the return of Christ. And in anticipation of that second coming, we see the culmination of Isaiah's vision. And therefore, it seems appropriate for me to stop and say, are you with me? And therefore, a fully formed Advent hope is not a determined optimism that this world is getting better and better until one day we'll eradicate all that tugs toward disintegration and chaos. Neither is it a fairy tale in a faraway land that warms our hearts and teaches us tidy moral lessons. Now, an Advent hope is the trust that God is at work birthing a redeemed, restored new creation. A new creation that's being born among us in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so may this first light of Advent serve as a reminder that we're part look around you, we are, all, we, we are all part of an unfolding story whose author is God in Christ. And as we live into that story, may our vision and our practice be shaped by that coming kingdom. May we live in a manner that seeks peace works for justice, shares forgiveness, and that sees friend and enemy as sons and daughters of the king. May we live with a deep gratitude and an abiding hope and the courage to go on 
May we live without fear because we see the end of the story. Look, I know that it's normal. It's sensible, really. I know it's normal. It's sensible, really, to live by what our eyes tell us is reality. And therefore, for many, distraction, anger, despair, restlessness, cynicism, and indifference are common viewpoints. And it's easy to shrug off the vision of Isaiah as quaint religious rhetoric that's removed from reality. But I don't know a better story. And I don't know another light to live by. So dear friends, may Isaiah's vision of God's coming illumine what we see and define how we live. And even as we light a candle to remind us, let us break bread and drink wine as a foretaste of the hope that is born among us. For one day, all things will be reconciled in Christ and we will walk in the light. So family of God and Jesus Christ, come to the table in hope for a new creation is being born among us. Amen.